Before we look into God's Word together today, I want to remind you that August I'll be observing my annual sabbatical. Uh, people think I just go and find a beach for a month. I don't do that. I couldn't afford that. But uh, I, I do some vacation time, obviously. But for the most part, I just step away from the day-to-day and allow God to recharge my spiritual batteries and just listen to God when I don't have deadline after deadline after deadline, asking the Lord, what do you have for us next? Are we following you correctly? Is there anything we need to change? Anything we need to stop? Anything we need to start? So it really is a time for me to just think big picture in quietness before the Lord. So as always, I would appreciate your prayers that I will be able to turn down a bit and just be in God's presence and hear what He has to say to me and to us. The Christian writer J.I. Packer said, every time we mention God, we become theologians. The only question is whether we're going to be good ones or bad ones. And today, in our continuing attempt to be good theologians, we're continuing our summer series, Jesus in His Own Words. Our objective is to allow Jesus to speak for Himself in a world where so many people want to speak for Him. Now, by the time we conclude this series, you should be able to find John's account of the gospel with relative ease. And I say that because all seven of Jesus' I am statements are recorded by John. And the one we're looking at today is found in chapter 10, beginning in the ninth verse. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I've entitled today's study, The Way In. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer. Father, in these coming moments, by Your Spirit, empower me for the declaration of Your truth. I cannot do it on my own. And by Your Spirit, help each one of us to hear what it is You're saying to us today. Help believers to hear You as You tell them their next step of growth in grace. Help any who don't yet believe among us to hear your next invitation to grace. But help every one of us to hear you speaking into our life at this moment, inviting us to abundance. Father, as always, we pray these things in Jesus' name, and we pray them for His glory and for His honor. Amen. And amen. And as we listen for God's voice today, may the Lord be with you. It's not uncommon to hear people suggest, if God actually exists, why doesn't He give us some unmistakable proof of His existence by way of unmistakable miracles? But 
the circumstances that set the stage for the announcement we're going to look at today clearly indicate that those who aren't interested in following Jesus aren't persuaded by miracles. Unbelief can persist and flourish in the presence of evidence to the contrary. The truth is, it can intensify in the face of contrary evidence, even when that evidence comes in the form of a miracle. And that's what it did in the moments immediately prior to Jesus' statement, I am the door. Last week, we saw the immediate hostile pushback to Jesus' announcement that He's the light of the world. And we saw that that pushback came from the very people who should have applauded the announcement, Israel's religious leaders. But they were not in the mood to celebrate. They pushed back and eventually attempted to take Jesus' life. And John informs us in the immediate aftermath of that dark moment, Jesus came across the path of a man who had been blind from birth, and he instantly healed him and restored his sight. So in the face of severe hostility against himself, Jesus still focused on suffering humanity. And it was a reminder that Jesus is who he said he is, even when the world says otherwise. His identity doesn't hinge on human opinions. Now, the healing of lifetime blindness qualified as a true miracle, one that no reasonable person could ignore. But unbelief is never reasonable. It has its roots in sin, and sin severely compromises our capacity for reason. So in the aftermath of a dramatic healing, the stiff opposition to Jesus' claims didn't subside, it intensified. Rather than celebrating that man's healing, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, dragged him into their presence where they grilled him and basically put him on trial, not once, but twice. And when his honest answers about what had happened to him honored Jesus, they booted him out of the temple. You talk about religion gone bad. Now, Jesus got wind of that. So he sought the fellow out, the fellow he had healed, and this time he invited him to faith and to salvation. And the man quickly accepted Jesus' gracious offer and worshiped Jesus. And again, there was pushback. And that's when Jesus declared, I am the door. Now, to understand what Jesus meant, and more importantly, what his words mean for us, we need to understand his cultural context. When Jesus called himself the door, he wasn't visualizing the door into a room or the door into a building. He was referring to the door into what was known as a sheepfold. A sheepfold was an enclosed area where a flock of sheep could safely spend the night. And in so doing, Jesus described himself as the good shepherd, and he described his followers as sheep. Now, when Jesus described his followers as sheep, it wasn't a put-down, But it certainly wasn't a compliment either. 
Because among domesticated animals, none are more helpless than sheep. They will spend their entire day wandering and grazing, never looking up, much like contemporary cell phone addicts. (laughs) And as a result, sheep easily get lost. And when they do, they don't possess any homing instinct. They are incapable of finding their way back to the sheepfold, even if it's clearly in sight. And sheep are followers. If the lead sheep walks off a cliff, all the other sheep will follow right off the cliff. And Jesus calls us the sheep of his pasture. He was telling us something. Now, to make matters worse, sheep are very susceptible to injuries, and they are defenseless against predators. If a wolf enters a sheepfold, the sheep won't disperse and scatter in an effort to escape. They all huddle together. They form a mutton buffet, (laughs) and they are easily slaughtered. For those and other reasons, sheep are entirely dependent upon the shepherd who tends them. Their shepherds serve as their guide, their provider, their protector, their physician, and their ever-present companion. So it should come as no surprise, over a short amount of time, a very close bond develops between shepherds and their sheep. And sheep learn to recognize and follow their shepherd's unique voice. To this day, wherever shepherds are herding sheep, those shepherds can readily divide flocks that are mingled together simply by calling out their own. And every individual shepherd has his own unique voice, and his sheep know his voice. And they'll follow him, but they won't follow any other shepherd. Now, shepherds in Jesus' day did a number of things. They led their flocks to safe grazing places by day because not every place was safe. And in the intense afternoon sun, they would make them rest in the shade. I think there's a psalm that talks about he makes me lie down. And then they would lead them to still water. Because sheep will not drink from flowing water. Because one thing they do intuitively seem to understand is that when their coat gets wet, it drags them down and they drown immediately. They don't swim. So they'll only drink from still water. And sometimes the shepherds actually have to use their staff and dig out a little pool off to the side of a current so that the sheep can drink. And then at nightfall, shepherds lead their sheep into the protection of an enclosure known as a sheepfold. Now, there were two kinds of sheepfolds in Jesus' day. There were public ones in larger cities and larger communities. And they were large enough to hold a number of flocks at once. They were supervised by a doorkeeper who guarded the door by night and in the morning admitted the individual shepherds, and each of them called out their flocks by name. The second type of sheepfold was out in the countryside, and that's where shepherds kept their flocks in good weather. 
And a sheepfold out in the countryside was simply an area surrounded by a crude, hastily constructed stone wall that had one small opening in it. And the shepherd literally served as the door because he would lie across that opening where he could control access to the flock. And by night, the shepherd slept there as the door. Now, in the face of escalating unbelief and hostility, in the face of a complaint posing as a question, Jesus declared himself to be both the shepherd of God's flock and the door of the sheepfold. But he didn't stop there, although the religious leaders likely wished he would have. Because he went on to contrast what he does as the door to what they were doing with religion gone bad. He described them as thieves and robbers. Now, what did Jesus mean? I'd like to suggest his meaning was clear for those who want it to be clear, beginning with this. Jesus was telling us that those who reject Him and His claims reject their only access to God. He alone is the way to salvation. There was only one point of access into a sheepfold, and that was through the shepherd who served himself as the door. Jesus was telling us He alone is the way to eternal life. Now, like Jesus' previous announcement, that piece of good news was not welcomed by the religious leaders, and it isn't welcomed by many people in our culture. To those who want to hold on to the illusion that they actually get to decide what is true, it sounds like bad news. In our culture of moral relativism, it sounds presumptuous, it sounds arrogant, it sounds outrageous, it's far too exclusive. It doesn't allow for different opinions. It rejects the contentions of a relativistic culture. It rejects the teachings of other religious faiths. And it rejects the ecumenical thinking that is birthed when a corrupt culture and compromised religion shack up for the night. And Jesus didn't stop there. He was indifferent to the charges of blasphemy that would be brought by his immediate audience, and he was indifferent to the charges of bigotry that are brought against him by contemporary arrogance. Jesus went on to say, any religious leader who offers salvation through anyone other than Jesus and any teaching other than his is a thief and a robber, not an enlightened humanitarian. His words were a ghetto slap to the corrupt, compromised religious gang that had been bullying the people and were attempting to bully him. Jesus made it clear that not every religious expression leads to God. The world is full of spiritual predators intent upon deceiving and destroying us, thieves and robbers and murderers. Scripture warns us there is a way that appears right to humanity, but even though it appears right, the end of it is destruction. 
The New Testament is filled with warnings against false teachings, against false teachers, against false prophets. The apostles at times named them by name so that people wouldn't be taken in by their lies and by their deceit. And Scripture refers to religious teachings that are other than the gospel of Christ as the doctrines of demons. It tells us where they have their origin and where they gain their support. Now, Jesus' declaration not only reminds us that He is the only way in, period, but it reminds us of something else. His words, whoever enters reminds us of the human choice that has to accompany God's grace. Let me explain. Sometimes you hear people say, salvation is entirely by grace. But that statement isn't entirely correct. Now, yes, salvation starts with and would be utterly impossible without God's grace. And yes, salvation begins with God's love and God's forgiveness, two things we could never demand and never earn. And yes, salvation requires God's enabling. He opens our eyes, He gives us understanding, He convicts us of our sin, and He gives us faith to believe. But when you say salvation is entirely by grace... It implies that salvation is something that is bestowed upon us whether we seek it or not. But that's not what Scripture teaches. Jesus said, if we enter, if we will be saved. So it would be better to say the grace of God is free, but it's also conditional. If we don't enter through the door, God won't drag us over the threshold. God has never dragged anybody into His kingdom. And as I often say, you'll never have to get a protection from abuse order where God is concerned. He invites, He convicts, He appeals, but you must choose. Now Jesus went on to say that those who are saved will go in and out and find pasture. What did He mean? Well, obviously, he wasn't suggesting that we move in and out of salvation, in and out of his kingdom. I grew up in a very legalistic church where many times we got the idea that every time we sinned and failed, we lost our salvation and had to get saved again. And so I would get saved two or three times a year. And and, and there were people who would get saved again every time we would have a special speaker in for a week of meetings. You could almost predict about Friday night of the week of meetings, they'd be coming down that center aisle to get saved again. Now, that kind of thinking is tragic. Because if you keep going back and starting over, you never make any progress. And it was so unnecessary. Because you don't fall out of God's kingdom every time you sin. So that's not what Jesus was saying. He was assuring us that just the sheep under the care of a good shepherd are free to move out of the sheepfold and feed with no fear of poison and then are free to return to the sheepfold to rest with no fear of predators 
And just as sheep in a well-guarded sheepfold are protected by thieves who would carry them off, those who follow Jesus are free. They're free to engage all of life going out and going in with unwavering confidence, without anxiety, without fear, because they aren't left to find truth on their own. They live under the watchful eye of a shepherd who is the truth and promised to lead them into all the truth. They aren't left to feed their souls as best they can on a diet of addictive spiritual junk food. They follow a shepherd who prepares a table of truth before them and feeds them with that truth. And they aren't left to the mercy of people and lies that would rob them of blessing, kill their hopes, and destroy their eternal destiny. They follow a shepherd who promised to protect them and promised to lead them into abundant life. They may still experience tough times. That's inevitable in a fallen creation. We aren't home yet, but they know that the heart and the wisdom of their shepherd will ultimately prevail. They're free to go in and out. They don't need to worry about any aspect of their life. And there's something else that Jesus' go-in-and-go-out promise affirms. Contrary to the popular notion that is fueled by Satan's continual campaign of disinformation, and contrary to the notion fueled by human fear, salvation isn't a straitjacket that binds us or a prison that confines us. I've shared with you many times, that was my concept of salvation. I just knew if I ever came to Jesus, that would be the day I would be baptized in vinegar and exercised of the demon of joy. I just knew my life from that point forward would be restricted. I wouldn't be able to do anything fun. My life would be miserable. I would just have to hang around church all the time and be deadly serious. And it wasn't until I walked through the door that I discovered, it's not like that at all. This is where the party is. This is where the freedom is. This is where the liberty is. I don't, I don't have to carry that baggage anymore. I got rid of the junk in the trunk. Okay? I was free to live because Scripture says where the Spirit is, there is liberty. And he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus said, I, I didn't come to imprison you in some sheepfold. You've got to go in and out freely. But you've always got to be protected and you've always got to know where home is. Right. You know, there are always people who suggest that Jesus only offers a crutch for the weak. Well, part of me wants to say, we're all weak and we all need a crutch. But the truth is, God offers more than a crutch for the weak. He offers a shepherd for willing sheep and the way into abundant life. And did you notice Jesus' words, if anyone? And in the text, there isn't an asterisk after anyone. There isn't a reference to several paragraphs of disclaimers 
at the bottom of the page in print so small you couldn't possibly read it. You know, you know the kind you encounter with some products, some medications? You know, this will do good for you, asterisk. May cause your leg to fall off. <laughs> you may go blind. All of your friends will leave you. You'll have perpetual halitosis. Nobody will want to hang around you, etc., 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 etc. Certain exceptions may apply. There's no asterisk. Anyone. Anyone. No matter what you've said about God, no matter what you've felt about God, no matter how you've related to God, no matter how you've rejected God, no matter how you've mocked the church, no matter how you've mocked Scripture, anyone, anyone, anyone can walk through that door. If there's anything preposterous about the gospel, it's not that Jesus is the only way. The thing that's preposterous is that anyone can take that way, no matter who they are, no matter their track record. So when it comes to Jesus, I am the door declaration, every human being has a choice. We can be offended at the exclusivity that Jesus is the only way, or we can be thrilled at the opportunity that anybody can find life through Him. So as we close, I want to invite each of you to do what we often do, and that is to just erect a quiet place of talking to the Lord in your spirit and in your mind. And let me say two things. First of all, if you're a follower of Jesus and, and He has spoken to you about maybe your security in Him or doubts you've had concerning His goodness or, or does He really accept you, whatever He talked to you about, talk to Him about that. Because He didn't point it out to you for no reason. That's where He wants to do His next work in your life. But if you came today having never walked through that door, having never called upon Jesus to be your Messiah. Whether you realize it or not, God's been pursuing you in in a lot of ways you wouldn't even recognize. But if God's pursuit is drawing to a close, and today you know God is saying, I'm the door, I'm here, I, I really would like you to walk through right now. Don't delay. If you hear His voice, if you feel that invitation, don't delay. In your own words, in your heart, acknowledge to Him that you've been living without Him and that it doesn't work. Unbelief doesn't deliver the goods. Confess your belief in His resurrection. Confess Him as your Lord and Savior. Ask Him to save you and give you abundant life. And know this, God's promise is that all, there's another, no asterisk statement, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Because that's why Jesus died and rose again, so that you could have that opportunity to discover what your humanity was always intended to be and what life was intended to be. 
Father, I pray for any heart that has responded to you today, either for salvation and life or for their next step of growth and grace. And I pray that your Spirit would encourage and strengthen them for their next step and the one after that. Thank you for a blanket invitation, anyone. And thank you for a way, the only way that could ever conceivably work. And I pray that we as your church, in a relativistic culture, would not be intimidated and would not mumble when we say Jesus is the only way. I pray we would shout it for the sake of people who need to find you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me simply say as Donnie comes, if you prayed asking Jesus to be your Lord, stop by one of the information booths and ask for a little packet called the map. It'll give you some very helpful information to get off to a good start in your new life with Jesus. God bless you.